The Sports Cage Podcast is brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism. Our province's older people deserve to live independently and affordably in their own communities and homes. Learn more and join the movement at skseniorsmechanism.ca. Must be a new era. Still going through a CFL strike for the first time in 48 years when I nicely get to sit in the big chair permanently. Yes, it is Michael Ball on the other side of the glass. John Kleisinger got his uh, John Lennon glasses on again. He's ready to go. We'll get to him in a second as uh, it's a big sports day. We're still waiting to see uh, what's going to happen with the CFL. We'll get to that in a second. It's Battle of Alberta Day, round number one. We'll get to that in our pick six. But first, we want to tell you that our show is brought to you by Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and get 15 free spins on the slot machine for a chance to win $1 million. Uh, yes, let's do it right now, Zinger. Let's get to a pick six. It's going to be a touchdown for Chandon Sullivan. It's Sorensen to the house. A pick six. Now, if I had a $5 for every time somebody stopped me in the hallway or phoned me or texted me, have you heard anything? Do you know anything? What's going on? I do not. Everybody's waiting around. Rumors are they're meeting. CFL Players Association has informed its membership that an update is coming regarding the union's ongoing work stoppage. Meantime, the Stamps and Elks are eligible to join the rest of the CFL players on strike by Thursday afternoon. That's what the league revealed via its communications on uh, Twitter. So there you go. So we thought it was Wednesday, but indeed it's Thursday. I'm sure Chris Jones and Dave Dickinson aren't using those extra practices to their advantage in Edmonton and Calgary respectively former star CFL quarterback Chris Strebler has been waived by the Miami Dolphins after signing with the team in February the dual threat quarterback became a free agent after finishing last season in the NFL on the Ravens practice roster worked out for the Dolphins two years ago prior to inking a contract with the Arizona Cardinals he left the Bombers after they won the Great Cup for the Cardinals so he is out there who knows if he catches on with an NFL team I know the Bombers need a backup quarterback. I mean, I know they got McGuire, I think, but you'd probably take Strevolution, even though he's like he's a big fullback that can throw a football. I wouldn't exactly call him a quarterback. He's a big, tough athlete. But, hey, better than what they have right now as a backup quarterback. So, yeah, soon as we know something from the CFL, we will get to you. I um or get it to you. I did text a few of the riders I know in the loop. They said nothing to report right now. They're waiting like me and you and everybody else. Uh, but last we heard, a deal had to get done today for that game to go on as scheduled next Monday at 3 o'clock, Victoria Day, a game you'd hear right here on 620 CKRM with yours truly on the call and Daniela Ponticelli, her first job or first time hosting on the pregame show with Don Hewitt and Wes Cates at noon, but that's very much in doubt. But stay tuned. Maybe we'll have an update by the end of the show. We're going to talk to football reporter Farhan Lalji. He seems to be all over this too, so we'll get to him after 5.30. Oh, yeah. It's the Battle of Alberta, baby. He's on a fast-skating line right now with number 19, Willie Lindstrom. There's Messier in front. He scores! 
1.57 left in the first period. Here comes Paul Coffey, the highest scoring defenseman in the National Hockey League. Messier shoots, gets the rebound, he scores! Mark Messier. Front, kept on side by John Jackson. This is Lindsman. Lindsman from the side of the net. Into the corner for Messier. There's Randy Gray going to the front of the net. There's the shot. They score! Mark Messier, the hat trick. Leveland complains to referee Bruce Hunt. But it's 3-1 Edmonton. Anderson slowed up. Keeps after the puck. McCown bounces with him. Curry from back of the net. Coffee scores! All coffee. That's only the second time in the seven games that the Oilers have been on the scoreboard first. Gretzky's out. He scores! In the second period, on Steve Bozak. Corner comes loose to Curry. Curry gets it ahead to Gretzky. Gretzky going in. Sooner trying to get back. Gretzky with a shot. He scores! And now Tikkanen circles at center. Three points in the game. A couple of goals for Essa Tikkanen. Six in the series. Shoot scores! Essa Tikkanen has won it for the Oilers! Young Chris Cuthbert on the call there. We'll hear from Chris, who's calling tonight's game after 5 o'clock. Five times they met in the playoffs. Four times the Oilers have won. And the fifth time Calgary didn't really win. Steve Smith scored in his own net. Some great calls there. Uh, what do we have? Jim Robson. We had Don Whitman and Chris Cuthbert on the calls there. Taking a walk down memory lane. Daryl Sutter said this. We got six generations of Sutters in Alberta. What brings people together? You say Battle of Alberta. It's not a Battle of Alberta, Sutter said. How many people are in Alberta? Four and a half million, maybe? What brings people together since we became a province? And just so no, everybody knows, we became a province in 1905, I believe. So that's like 116 years ago. What brings our province together? One sports, two church, three music. They might cheer for the Flames. They might cheer for the Oilers. Big deal. It's sport. That's what it's all about. It's the best thing ever. If you look at it, right, it's perfect. When I say that about all these things, is it important? You're damn right it's important. It's great for the league. It's great for Alberta, especially when COVID, oil and gas, livestock and agriculture, we all got smoked here the last two years. So it's great to see that energy and all that positivity. Can't wait to see it. Calgary and Edmonton tonight, just after 7.30. Number three in the pick six, Aaron Judge bets on himself. Pretty good bet. Judge hit two homers, giving him an MLB leading 14 yesterday. He helped the the Yankees to a 5-4 win over Baltimore. New York heading into today's action. 20 of 23 in the win column in the last 23 games. How about the Astros without trash cans? They hit five homers as part of a nine-run second inning to tie an MLB record for most homers in an inning. 13-4 route of Boston. Jays go for the sweep today of the Mariners. Um, how do you get your season kick-started again if you're the Blue Jays? Well, <laughs> you play the M's and then you got the Reds coming to town. God, half of the MLB teams are awful. They're absolute hot trash. Done by May. Baseball's got some serious problems. All right, number four on the pick six, and it's going to tie into our question on the Sports Cage Twitter feed. But here we go. What's the price of a good time at the PGA Championship? Well, the concession menu at Southern Hills in Oklahoma was released. And check this out. For beer, you're paying as much as $19 U.S. for a beer. So 
<laughs> That's crazy. Uh, water is $6 for a bottle of water. So I would suggest if you get all liquored up on Thursday and go Friday or get liquored up Friday and go back Saturday, make sure you smuggle in some water for your hangover because you'll be paying six bucks a bottle after you paid $19 a bottle for the uh, beer. So that leads us to our question. Zinger, give us the question on the Sports Cage Twitter feed. You're at a stadium slash arena taking in a game. What is the most money you would spend on a alcoholic beverage, is it uh, $8, $10, or $18? Right now, 50% of uh, the listener says $8, and uh, 36% says 10 and 15% says 18 You can vote now. It's uh, up for 23 more hours. Yeah, I don't know that you'd want to spend $18 on a beer. $18. I don't, I don't drink beer, and I get the high prices for beer to curb uh, getting wasted at a game because you take kids to game, families, older people. But okay, you want to jack the price for beer? Six dollars for water? Mm-hmm. Give me a break. I remember at Madison Square Garden, I was taking in a Knicks game, and like a yeah. tall can of beer was uh, sixteen dollars American. Wow. Yep. wow. Number five on the pick six: former Pro Bowl running back Philip Lindsay has agreed to terms with the Colts, a one-year deal. Uh, He spent last season with the Texans, then the Dolphins. He rushed for 130 yards on 50 carries and one touchdown in Houston. He landed in Miami after being waived by Houston. Didn't fare too much better. 119 yards on 38 carries, no touchdowns. 27-year-old back isn't too far removed, though, from consecutive 1,000-yard seasons in 2018 and 2019 with the Broncos, earning a Pro Bowl trip in his rookie season in 2018. So, uh... I like them. They got that big stud running back uh, Taylor in the backfield, right? Is that right? The the uh, who's the Colts running back? What's his name? Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, Jonathan yep. Taylor. You bring Lindsey in there, and Lindsey can do some special team stuff too. So that's good. Mike, the Colts are my under the radar team in the AFC this year with Matt Ryan and a couple of good stud running backs. Weren't they a couple of years ago with Philip Rivers too? Yeah, and they did a great job. Yeah, he, they, he played they well. did pretty good. And uh, my under the radar teams in the um, NFC. You won't like this one. The Minnesota Vikings, they had a great draft. I think Cousins is poised for another decent year. I don't mind them. They got they got rid of Zimmer, right? So they got a new coach, if I'm not mistaken. They got mm-hmm. rid of Zimmer, right? Oh, yeah. yeah He's they did. gone. He's gone. Long gone. And uh, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to be a team to be reckoned with. I just read that today on my on my mirror. <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah, That's I did. Definitely, what's going to happen? Hey, uh, Jerry Jones says he'll never sell the Dallas Cowboys. He likes being the face of the team, the uh, heavily sculpted artificial face of the team. It's estimated that if he sold the Cowboys, he'd get ten billion. And I think Zinger. Oh. Easy. I think he could get $15 billion. Check this out. The Clippers, not the Lakers, the Clippers, they were sold for $2 billion five years ago. And at that time, they were the second tenant in Crypto.com Arena, then Staples. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have their own arena when Ballmer bought them. Steve so, Ballmer. So for sure the Cowboys could get $10 billion. Mm-hmm. If not fifteen billion, I wouldn't be shocked. Wealthiest team in the in uh, the world. Yeah, number six in the pick six in March, an eleven-year-old named Elijah Blankenberg got some baseball cards signed by Yankees at spring training. Then someone stole the binder they were in. ESPN did a follow-up after random people sent them uh, sent him their signed stuff. It took four hours to open all the packages. He got thousands of base or not thousands. He got a lot of baseballs signed by Nolan Ryan. Sammy Sosa, Greg Maddox, the Orioles sent him a game-used third base signed by the whole team. 
and, and who knows, maybe a contract to play third base for that crappy team. Uh, also, his favorite uh, player, DJ LeMahieu, uh, signed, um, hold on here, signed um, something for him too. But the best thing he got was a ball signed by Mickey Mantle and the 68 Yankees. Jeez. That is unbelievable. Imagine that bedroom or war room or he, his parents have caught the 11 year old sleeping with that uh, that uh, Yankee sign ball for Mickey Mantle in the 68 Yankees a number of times that is uh, cool and uh, time for one more extra point quickly here on the pick six uh, don't expect a reunion of coaches corner anytime soon in a short video tweeted out by the Toronto Suns Joe Warmington former host Don Cherry declared his friendship with Ron McLean over and done no, I don't think we'll ever be friends again, Cherry said. We can't be friends again. It's too bad because we were on the air. We used to have fun. I mean, it was so fun. Coach's Corner was fun. Now, uh, Cherry did not, ap- not apologize for his remarks after he was terminated for making comments on November 9th when he told, you people need to wear a poppy. McLean went on the air two days later and basically apologized and called out Don Cherry in that apology. McLean says if he had one regret, it was that he used Don's name. And if I was sitting at home watching it, that would hurt me too. You know what? I have to just say this. I'm not getting into what Cherry said back and forth, but Ron McLean threw Don Cherry under the bus. I lost a lot of respect for Ron McLean. I I liked him. I I interviewed him a couple of times. I'll never interview that guy again. Don Cherry saved Ron McLean's job that time. When they were getting rid of him, and he said, if McLean goes, I go too. And they kept McLean. You remember that? Mm -hmm. They had George Stramanamanamanopoulos (laughs) replace him. And then McLean comes back, and McLean throws Cherry under the bus. Yeah, no spine. No 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 spine. Spineless. That's not a friend. I'm all for Don Cherry. Man, I tell you what, Zinger, I've uh, I've been really burning the candle at both ends mm-hmm. with two jobs and then uh, we're doing a renovation at home, but tell you what, I'm fired up today because I hooked up with one of our new sponsors, Zinger. You're not going to believe this. Do you have very little energy? You know you do, and everyone can tell. You need a big, big energy drink. Even if you have average, average energy... One swallow of a big, big energy drink will pump you up. A large can for a long day. Look for the big black can where you buy your energy drinks. Or try Big Big Energy Light in the smaller white can. Big Big Energy comes in a box or individually. Just put it in your front pocket so everyone will know you have Big Big Energy. Hey, you've got Big Big Energy. Yes. Yes, I do. Better use both hands, because we're going to give you a bunch of fluid ounces. Big, big energy. The energy drink that will have the thirsty asking, can I have a taste? Big, big energy drink. May not actually generate energy. show is brought to you by spreads.ca all our guests come to you via the western pizza hotline dinner time game time anytime a great time to order western pizza ask your local western pizza location about their specials by the way two-time coach of the year in the can west for women's volleyball melanie sanford whose teams made the playoffs 13 times in her 20 years is retiring 
And she'll stay on till mid-August. They're looking for a replacement, so there's a little university athletics for you. We call this Cougars in the Cage, where we talk about university athletics, and we head out in the Western Pizza Hotline, speak with our friend uh, Megan Donnelly. She is the sister of Rams quarterback Neil Donnelly, who is supposed to be one of those... uh, uh, camp additions for the riders at the internship program that's kind of on hold till we get the CBA done how's your brother holding up there is he a little frustrated he can't uh, get out there and sling the ball with the riders yeah he's definitely very sad well sad and a little upset just because he was very excited for this opportunity but yeah. I think he's getting through it yeah, and I think they'll be able to get something done here hopefully soon he was in the uh, east to west bowl there and he took a bit of a shot how's he doing He's good. Uh, he he has, he's a little sore. Yeah. His neck, he got hit pretty bad for the in the first quarter. So I think he's just more upset that he couldn't play for the rest of the game. But yeah, he's doing okay and he's feeling way better than he was. Do you guys so. kind of you guys kind of pump each other up? Uh, you're both quarterbacks, and we'll get to you in a second. Do you pump each other up because he's gone through some injuries? He's had some difficult times. Um, well, for me personally, he's like one of my coaches almost, like always just helping me out with my throwing. So he definitely pumps me up when I have a bad game. But I don't know. I try to support him as much as I can. Definitely two two different people. So it's kind of hard, especially since I'm the little sister. So <laughs> How old are you, uh, Meg? I'm 20. 20 years old. What are you taking in school at the U of R? I, I'm in my second year. Uh, in kinesiology. Okay, so you and your brother uh, Josh go out and sling the ball around the field or what? Oh yeah, right when the snow is melting, we're on the street throwing back and forth together and then we definitely do our def- our, our like individual workouts and stuff together. So mm-hmm. yeah. Who's a better quarterback, Megan Donnelly or Josh Donnelly? That's the big question I want answered. Well, from I, it's pretty close, I'd say, but I'd definitely give him the credit considering he teaches me everything I know. Okay. So what what's your best attribute as a quarterback? Now, we should point out you were in charge of the uh, women's bronze medal winning team from the U of R that uh, won the bronze down east in a uh, weekend that were, you know, kind of a week that was a celebration of female football. It was the university or collegiate uh, flag football championship. Uh, what's your best attribute as a quarterback? Uh, I think my, I just try to be as calm as I can, just make sure everybody's in their position. And uh, I think my best attribute is just trying to find those open players and get them the ball as much as I can. So is it a seven-on-seven seven thing like we play here uh, at the Flag Football League? Is that how it works? And is it flag football? It's flag football, but it's actually five-on-five. Five-on-five. So your center snaps and, and, and runs out in a pattern. Is that how it works? Yep. And they have a rusher on you, a rusher coming to you? Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, all right. So tell me about that uh, that week that was. What was it like down there? Uh, so there was 10 teams and all over the country. So we had a couple from Ontario. We had two Western teams, uh, two teams from Quebec, one team from Toronto, a team from Manitoba, Nova Scotia, just kind of everywhere around. And it was just the Friday, Saturday, and we played about six games. And it was a little round robin. And... Yeah, it was actually crazy. You, it's it's hard because you just don't know what to expect. Like we had no idea what teams were going to be there, who was good, who wasn't. So it was just a bit of a surprise and just super exciting the whole weekend. It's pretty cool though to have this at the uh, university level, and you know, with an eye on maybe you know what, it whet the appetite, maybe be an Olympic athlete, right, Megan? Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's you know, flag football is growing so much that it it just it's super exciting to see like 
how many teams are starting as our first year of a university tournament and just how much bigger it could get, especially with the talk of it, of it being a possible Olympic sport. Do you play any other sports, Megan, besides uh, 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 football? Do you do anything else? Uh, right now, no. I used to play volleyball and basketball in high school, but I haven't really picked up or kept that going. Okay, your dad's kind of a famous guy in town. Your mom, I believe, a teacher, Neil and Lisa. Where'd you get your uh, athleticism from, mom or dad? Uh, I'd say it's from a bit of both. They both played a ton of sports in high school and like as young adults, so I definitely think it's a, a bit of a mixture. Uh- that's awesome. Awesome. Okay, last question for you. What's your favorite throw? It's second and 10. You got to convert. Keep the drive alive. Uh, you're down by like three points. Megan Donnelly, what throw is it? What's your best throw? Oh, the wheel. The wheel route. What's the key to throwing a good wheel? Uh, I just trust the player and know that they're going outside, and I look middle and throw it outside, and it's Drop it right in the bucket, right? Just right over the top, in the bucket, running downfield. Yeah. Well, Megan, thanks for this. Congratulations on a bronze medal winning performance uh, at the collegiate level for women's flag football at the U of R. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. That's uh, our cougar in the cage. That would be Megan Donnelly. When we come back, we'll hear from CC, Chris Cuthbert. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Oh yeah, we're ready for the Battle of Alberta tonight. First time since 1991. Let's get it on, because we don't get along. A slobber knocker tonight at the Saddle Dome. That dump of a rink, the Saddle Dome. Worst rink in the league. The, uh, the poor brothers in the south play the rich brothers from the north. Edmonton coming down. Greatest player in the world. He's like a robot. Will they be able to stop him? I doubt it. They might tonight, but probably not for seven games. Connor McJesus lining up for the Oilers. Now, Dreisaitl didn't take the morning skate, so that's going to affect the Oilers. Key to this series could be the Nuge. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, 11-year Oiler. He's been there the longest. He's going to have to step it up. Might be him against Backlund. They say that could be the big matchup. Uh, We're going to get to... uh, our friend Bob Stoffer of the Edmonton Oilers Radio Network, he talked to Wayne Gretzky earlier this week. A lot of people upset because Gretzky picked the Flames to beat the Oilers. That's it. Next time we go to space, I want to go. Jeff Bezos, sign me up. Elon Musk, I'm getting off. I'll go on your blue organ, Bezos. You can dump me off because if Wayne Gretzky's picking against the Oilers, what the... Is he... What's he drinking? And picking the Flames, yeah. It's not like he's picking, like, yeah. the Ducks or something. Tampa, the two-time champs. He's picking the Flames. Gretzky, you're close to being kicked out of Oiler Nation. <laughs> close, but I can't because you're the greatest Oiler of all time. Anyway, uh, the show is brought to you by Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM. They'll match your first deposit of 25 to $250. Uh, Western Pizza provides the hotline for us. Dinner time, game time, anytime, a great time to order Western Pizza. Ask your local Western Pizza location about their specials. We're going to get to a guest, but fire up the phones. 936-6262 in town. Toll free out of town, 1-866-767-0620. Zinger, you got something? Got some texts rolling in yeah, here. Go ahead. Ballsy. Got, a, got, got a text here that says, sorry to hear 
that you support Don Cherry. I guess that you uh, can be excused for that opinion since you are sleep deprived, ballsy from renovating. <laughs> Don Cherry is so full of crap, I'm surprised he can stand. So uh, that's one opinion there. Mike texted in said, Go Oilers. I love seeing Calgary teams lose. Calgary is too full of themselves this year. Uh, and Ballsy, you know what Calgary smells like. There's a scent in the air uh, down there when <laughs> when you go to Cowtow. It's called Cowtow for a reason. Actually, I think that's Brooks, Alberta, just blows into Calgary. And yeah, that's right. I yeah. do support Don Cherry. I like Don Cherry. I I don't like uh, Ron McLean not being a true friend. I'm not getting into what Don Cherry said or didn't say. Ron McLean was saved by Don Cherry, and then he threw him under the bus. That's a fact. Anyway. Enough about that. Let us get to this, okay? Let's head out in the Western Pizza Hotline. And now Tikkanen circles at center. Three points in the game, a couple of goals for Essa Tikkanen. Six in the series. Shoot scores! Essa Tikkanen has won it for the Oilers. All right, Chris, I, I listened to the young voice there. What what are we talking about, Chris? Early 30s there on that call. You know, I, I, I guess I'll do the math. Uh, 33, 34, uh, yeah, the voice hadn't changed yet, Michael. So uh, uh, hopefully it'll be, sound a little deeper and better for the uh, for the rematch of the Battle of Alberta this time. Oh, dude, you sound good no matter what. But let me ask you, was that was that your first real big series? Uh, you know, it was uh, the first seven-game series. I had done a pretty wild Calgary-LA series uh, the year before and had done a few series, but uh, back then I kind of was shuffling between hosting uh, on Hockey Night and, and getting uh, a few play-by-play uh, assignments. And uh, But that was uh, certainly the first seven-game. It was uh, the best one I had done early in my career, and and even now, I think back on it, and uh, I, I have a few best series, but that's certainly one of the first ones that always comes to mind. So that Calgary-LA one, was that the one where Vernon was leaning back and couldn't catch that puck as it went over his glove into the net and L.A. beat them? Is that, that the one? Yeah, I think that's the one, and it, I think there was one game in there that was 12-4 to 4 as well, so uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was crazy, and that was... Uh, that was when the yeah the old Smite division could get goofy and uh, and it did uh, even in the playoffs. So uh, what people forget is Theo Fleury scores that uh, game six winner and you had a great call calling it uh, seventh heaven for the Flames and their fans. But that was only game six. Then Calgary in that game seven races out to a three nothing lead and the Oilers fought back. I remember the call and I remember Messier barely being able to get off the bench. Yeah, there's you know there's so much in that game seven and in the series and and I know the flurry celebration the slide across the ice irked the Oilers and then Flurry scored one of the first three goals in the first period of game seven and he did the slide again and uh, that just poked the bear and, and one of the memories of uh, of game seven is I mean you're shocked because the series is so close and all of a sudden it's three nothing for. Uh, for Calgary, and yet uh, I think Tikkanen scored from long range late in the first period, and you could kind of feel the bubble burst and a, and a groan from the crowd because it it probably wasn't a great goal, but it gave the Oilers life, and then and the rest is history. 
You know, uh, Chris, I think it's so great for a new generation of hockey fan to find out what the Battle of Alberta is. My son's a 20-year-old. Of course, he's an Oiler fan because I raised him that way. So he's pretty pumped tonight that he gets to experience one for himself. But I think it's great for hockey uh, for this to happen. And great for Sportsnet, too, because you guys know at least one Canadian team will get to the Final Four. Yeah, it's, it is uh it is great that way, and it's great for many reasons. But, uh, you know, back to 91, it was just uh, the latest in, you know, in a number of sequels. They played in 83, 84, 86. Calgary spoiled what would have been an Oiler dynasty uh, with that dramatic seventh game win at Northlands at the time. And, and, and so the Oilers won two in a row, lost to Calgary in 86, then they won two more in a row. And I remember how badly fans in Edmonton wanted to see Edmonton play Calgary in 87. It didn't happen. The, the, the Flames were upset. So uh, then it's 88, and everybody can't wait for that. And I remember thinking, this this is a pick series. In fact, uh, I know Craig Simpson's told me that Edmonton felt like the only thing in their way from winning a cup in 88 was Calgary. And they end up winning in four straight in that uh, opening round series, which I think stunned everybody because uh, that just felt like yet another series that was going to go seven. So uh, the uh, yeah, the the, the uh, there's so many of these great series in the '80s and then culminating in '91, and it's really hard to believe that uh, division rivals and and provincial rivals haven't been able to play since Chris it's probably no not probably it is the first time I think that the Calgary Flames come in favored now I know I think in at least I want to say 88 they had uh even 91 no in 91 too they had a better record in the regular season but I think this is a you know everybody still thought okay well the Oilers are the Oilers they'll get it done these Oilers are not battle tested in the playoffs even though they came out of that LA series and looked pretty good at the end there but I think really this is the first time Calgary is where you expect Calgary to win this series. That's how I feel anyway. Well, I'm more of a pick'em guy myself, but I, I am hearing, you know, Calgary's the favorite. Uh, Daryl Sutter tried to play the underdog role today, and I don't think that worked. And, and I know Pierre Lebrun and the Athletic had um, a group of anonymous GMs uh, picking, and they all picked Calgary, which kind of surprised me. I, I thought it might be a little more beat. 8-4 in favor of Calgary, but, uh, I, you know, watching the two teams, uh, it, it's about time they got back to playing, and, and neither team's enjoyed a lot of mm-hmm. success uh, recently in, in Stanley Cup playoff action, so they both got a little battle-tested by winning Game 7s, and uh, Edmonton got a little more by uh, uh, avoiding, uh, you know, elimination twice in Round 1, but uh, I think it's going to be a lot closer than... Uh, uh, than than the early speculation seems to be leading yeah. to. Yeah. So Chris, you've seen a lot of hockey, man, uh, and uh, from your perch high above the ice, where does Connor McDavid rank amongst the players that you've watched? Well, what I just saw in the last two games takes it to a, a whole new level. I mean, the history of this series has some of the greatest players to ever play, and and, and it's always dangerous territory to to, to start comparing these guys to, you know, I, I consider Gretzky number one uh, and Mark Messier in the top five to ten of all-time players. But what Connor McDavid did in the last round, what he is capable of doing, uh, is is in that discussion. So that that's remarkable in its own. And, and uh, once Connor McDavid starts winning cups, 
Uh, and that was always what people were waiting for. When's Wayne Gretzky going to win a cup? When's Mario Lemieux going to win a cup? Uh, maybe not quite at the same level, but when Steve Eisman going to win a cup? And uh, that's when the, the the great players become truly great. And uh, and that's pretty well the only thing we're we're waiting on Connor McDavid because skill level, there's nobody been quite like him and playing at the speed that uh, that he plays the game at. Chris Cuthbert joining us here, the uh, the GOAT, as we like to say in Canada in terms of sports broadcasting. So, Chris Cuthbert, your buddy in the booth, Craig Simpson, is a former Oiler that scored a lot of great goals in those uh, mid-'80s, man. I went back and YouTube some of them. He was a coach with the Edmonton Oilers, I believe, the last time they went on a long playoff run in 2006. Is it hard for him to uh, be uh, unbiased? He's a professional, but come on, man, you're an Oiler. You're always an Oiler, aren't you? You know, well, that's the, that is the saying, what's an oiler, always an oiler. Um, I, I think he's in a difficult position. I don't think personally uh, it's, it's difficult for him to sort out. He's a, he's a pretty, um, uh, you know, he's, he's a um, kind of a, he looks at the game through a technical eye, and, and I, I don't think he gets really emotional. He's not a sentimental guy. Uh, but you're right, he was an oiler, and he was actually the second best or highest scorer in that 91 series. I think until Tikkanen scored uh, the hat trick in game seven, uh, Craig had, had led the series in scoring. Um, so I think people, people will listen with a critical ear, waiting to hear the bias. Uh, and uh, as Danny Gallivan once said, uh, bias is usually found in the ear of the beholder. So yeah. I'm sure people will hear that, but uh, uh, I really do think Greg just is excited that uh, this is a pretty compelling matchup. And how excited is Chris Cuthbert to do a game like this? You've called a lot of them. We touched on this. It was your first big one way back in the day. You still got that juice for this kind of game? Uh, how could you not, especially in these buildings? And that's that's the one thing I think is going to be a little different. Let, uh, there's no doubt the environment in in Edmonton and Calgary in 91 and in the 80s was was unbelievable. But I, I really do think this is next level. And uh, I don't know if it's the social media engagement, uh, just uh, brighter media lights on it, uh, just the way maybe we handle things now as fans and, and maybe even post-pandemic or just coming out of the pandemic. We, we didn't have the, the red lot or, um, uh, you know, watching games outside or in the ice district uh, like uh, the, uh, back in 91, like they're doing it now. And it just just seems like the fan engagement's at a different level, and, and that's going to make it special too. Went for supper with Glenn Suter recently. We'll wrap up on a football note, and he was talking about uh, what a great patriot you are and how much you love Canada and the CFL. Just your thoughts. As we talk right now, it looks like they might be inching closer to getting a deal done, and I'm sure uh, even though you're not calling games, you're pretty happy about that. Well, let's get it done, guys. And, I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to take sides, and you, you kind of can step in the mud if you mm -hmm. get involved in labor stuff, but... Uh, Let's face it: the Canadian Football League needs uh, needs these guys on the uh, on the field, and uh, can't wait for them to kick it off again. Chris, have a great call tonight, man. We will be watching for sure. I've already booked my spot in the BP Lounge out in White City, so we'll be watching Chris Cuthbert on the TV. Thanks for this, my friend.
Hey, Michael, have one for me tonight. Thanks. It's 449 with the Sports Cage Sports Ticker. It's for Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right, 781-2090. So the Regina Pats made a couple of blue line selections in the U.S. priority draft today. Defenseman Dylan LeBret with the third overall pick and Stephen Grumley with the 42nd overall pick. The WHL's annual prospects draft will take place tomorrow morning. Regina holds the sixth overall pick. All right, let's do this thing. Battle of Alberta, Oilers, Flames. Game one puck drop at 7.30. The Rangers and Hurricanes start their series at 5 o'clock. Updates on that game throughout the cage. NBA Western Conference Final. Game one tonight, Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks are in San Francisco to take on Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. 7 p.m. start for that one. And Jimmy Butler had 41-9-5 last night on way to Miami's Game 1 Eastern Conference Final win over the Celtics, 118-107 to the final. The Butler did it. That's easy. Uh, Jimmy <laughs> Butler's a pretty good player, but I think at the end of the day, Boston will end up winning that series. Me too. And you had uh, said you uh, agree you like Golden State with their three-point shooting, although Doncic is a stud, man. He is. He's uh, arrogant, too. I like it. He's kind of got that Michael Jordan arrogance about yeah, him. Yeah, but at the same time, he's like he's like a European player, and he has that arrogance to him. It's not too often where you have a European that acts like that, you know? So it's kind of like... it. Takes a bit to get used to, but uh, was Vladi kind of arrogant? Vladi Divac? Oh, with He's the a, Sacramento he, Kings well, back the La- in the early two thousand, and the Lakers. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. I remember him being a bit of that with the Kings with with Chris Webber, Mike Bibby, yeah. early two thousands. Yeah, 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 for sure, absolutely. Okay, so uh, lots going on here. Yesterday we did a Twitter poll. What did we have on our Sports Cage Twitter poll? How did the results go there? It was CFL related. Yeah, yesterday was uh, who should receive the most blame for the CFL work stoppage, and uh, the answers were players, owners, or both, and six. 67% of the vote went towards owners. So that's uh, uh, nearly three three quarters. 936-6262 in town, toll free, out of town, 1-866-767-0620. You want to talk some sports? we got a few minutes here. Oh, ballsy, I want to talk sports. Well, then call in right here. <laughs> Phones are open, man. You can text our text line for Capital Ford Lincoln, the corner of Rochdale and Pasqua, 936-6262. They are Saskatchewan's number one Ford dealer. we got some text there, I understand, Zinger. Yeah, we got some text. Uh, Leonard says, I love Ron McLean and I love Michael Ball. <laughs> Just straight up. That's an awesome text. Thank you, Leonard. Thanks, I Leonard. love you too, man. Uh, Mike texted in and uh, said, nothing wrong with Don Cherry. That texture is too full of you-know-what. Uh, probably a Flames fan or a disgruntled Leafs fan. Yeah. LOL. Hey, let's you're take ref- care of each other on your... <laughs> you're referring to the texture before that was mad at me for sticking up for yeah, Don yeah. Cherry sleep deprived. That's okay? right. Yeah. That's right. Let's yeah. clear that up. Yeah. And uh, we got another texture in. Uh, okay, never mind. I can't read that one. Was oh, so. it bad? Yeah. Well, it's just a lot of bad language. You know, oh, I got to screen yeah, it you beforehand. Gotta screen. Yeah, come on, screen it there, Zinger. Hey, Do your but, job. But let me tee it up here. Let me tee up uh, today's poll because yeah. we have a new poll up today as well, Ballsy. It's uh, you're at a stadium slash arena taking in a game. You know, you're feeling a bit thirsty, a bit peckish, if you will. So, you know what? It's between the period or it's between quarters or between innings. You get up and you decide to go get yourself a drink. What's the most money you would spend on a cold bevy, adult bevy at a game? Is it 8 bucks, 10 bucks, 18 bucks? Let us know. At Sports Cage on Twitter, right now, 33% of the vote says no more than a $10 bill. So that is, uh, who's on the Ten dollar bill? Is it Johnny Johnny McDonald still? No, it's uh, someone new. I, think I have they no. Took, I, I have. Who I, cares? I, 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 I guess. Ch- I, well, I care, but I'd have to. 
I'd have to check I know that Hamilton, out. I think Hamilton's on the U.S. $10 bill. Hamilton. <laughs> it's sad you know that. Yeah, man. I've had a couple of uh, bills in my hands. <laughs> Not the Benjamins, just the tens. So, so, so <laughs> what's the most you've paid for, like, some sort of uh, concession or yeah, something I've, at a game? Because you've gone to lots of places. I, I've, I've, I mentioned earlier in the show I bought that $16 can of, uh, of, of beer at Madison Square Garden a few years ago. I've got a couple... $12 beers at Lambeau Field. I got a really expensive one at the Allianz Arena in Munich, Germany, which was like 10 euro, which is the equivalent, you know, so yeah, a no. lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so CFL news here. That is our, once again, that is our poll question up at the at Sports Cage, our Twitter poll question. Go check it out. I don't really drink. I'm okay with them at the PGA charging 19 bucks for, for booze. I'm okay with that because... You're trying to curb drinking, and you don't want drunk, liquored-up fan yelling, Get in the hole! You don't want them, like, screwing up the golfers, okay? So you're trying to curb that, okay? But so you go get absolutely you-know-what-faced at the PGA Championship because you got to be drunk to watch golf. It is right there with soccer for boredom. Like, in soccer, you get drunk and make bombs uh, for... Serious. For for golf, it's b even more boring, so you got to drink. But then here's the thing. It's okay, you want to... You want to gouge people for the drink zinger? That's fine, but not the water. It's six dollars a bottle for the water. Mm -hmm. that's, no, I know, I know. That's absolutely insane. We're talking H two O. You can get that from a tap if that, you go to the washroom. That's insane. Okay, here's a question for you: Will Strevler be back with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? He was just released by the Miami Dolphins. He was with the Ravens, with the Cardinals. Seems like he's kind of maybe running out of options here. You know the big fullback that can throw the odd pass or two? I think he has one more chance to catch on with an NFL team. I think he has a one... He's like he's on the brink right now of, of leaving the NFL for good, coming back to the CFL. I think he signs one more contract with a, with a team, whether that's a practice squad or not. I don't think his time in the NFL is up yet. So, uh, Zinger prediction. Will we have a deal done by the end of the show in the CFL? End of the show? Uh... I'm going to say no. By the end of the day, like midnight. I feel like we're going to go home tonight, Ballsy. This is the way it always works when we're waiting for news on the cage. We're going to go home probably like 7.30 p.m. tonight, fire up Twitter, and we're going to see the news on there that they come to the agreement right after we go off the airwaves. Okay, so that's I'm what okay. I think is going to happen. I'm okay, man, because yeah. they have to have a deal in place by... Uh, midnight in order, they say, for that CFL game on Monday that you'd hear right here on 620 CKRM, the preseason tilt between the Riders and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. See, it's not a big deal right now. Veterans don't care because they don't get banged up in practice, and the the, the, the first-year guys and the second-year guys don't have enough time right now or aren't turning heads of the coaches, so they may just give it to the veteran by default, right? So veterans mm -hmm. aren't that sad, but nobody's lost any money yet. That's the key. No, Nobody is hurt uh, at the turnstiles turn just yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, don't you think regardless, so this game on Monday has to be pushed back to, like, I don't know, there's a bit of flexibility in there to, like, maybe Wednesday, Thursday. Like, we're talking Wednesday, about... Wednesday, maybe. Zinger, zinger, zinger. Just cool your jets. We're talking about players hitting the practice field oh. for, what, two practices after being off for months and then hitting the gridiron on Monday and playing a game? Like, player safety. Let's talk about player safety. That's not doable. Really, Zinger? Did you watch the games last year? Yeah, they the, were. The Edmonton Elks played three 
not preseason, not practices, played three regular season games in seven yeah, days. Yeah, that doesn't make it right. That shouldn't happen, man. Well, that, if, that they could do, happen. if they could do three regular season games in seven days, they could play a preseason game because there's so many more guys in the roster. You're not playing your veterans that much. So I think they can't. They won't play it on Monday, but they'll probably push it back Tuesday, Wednesday. That's what I'm thinking. I think at least Wednesday, like two days of, of practice yeah. after being off all off season. At least at Edmonton Elks last year were, you know, it was like mid-season. They played a bunch of games. They were on the field a bunch. These guys have been laying on the couch eating potato chips. Let's just get a deal done. That's all we want. Yeah, that's we, all want, we want. I'm overreacting. I don't know. I just want to watch football, <laughs> man. Come on. Yeah, and don't tell me USFL is football. No, that's not football. That's why I haven't watched football since, uh, since uh, the Super Bowl. Well, I watched two minutes of the USFL and I went... Uh, no, another another league in the a first fold. game was okay because there was a lot of people, the hometown fans watching the Birmingham Stallions, and then after that, it, it's been hot garbage. Nobody wants to go watch yeah. these teams. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm not watching it anymore. I don't want. I don't even want to talk about it on our show anymore. Okay, Ballsy. you've banned it. I won't I talk. Banned to... it. I don't want to, any more USFL talk. No more guests talking about it. Nothing. It's okay, done. Okay, good. It's done. Let's go to break, <laughs> Singer. That's it. You put the law down, man. Let's go to break. The Sports Cage Podcast is brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism, advocating for Saskatchewan's older people for 30 years. SKSeniorsMechanism.ca Now we check in with the players, coaches, movers, and shakers who help build Canada's league. It's Where Are They Now? Time now for Where Are They Now? And this is a great conversation as I had a lengthy chat with Long-time Rough Rider equipment manager and Plaza of Honor inductee, Normie Fong. What a great guy. What's Man, does he have a number of great stories. When you stepped away from the game, you were the longest-serving equipment guy in the CFL at 34 years. Does that record still stand, Norm? Um, no. <laughs> no, the, I would say uh, Calgary, yeah. uh, Edmonton, and probably Toronto. Yeah. They're equipment guys. Uh, I know Dwayne in Edmonton would have been his 50th. Yeah, and he still wears shorts on the sidelines. I can't remember. Did you used to wear shorts on the sidelines regardless of the weather? Well, I did until I smartened up later in <laughs> in life. Yeah. Like, why do guys, like, why does Dwayne Mandrusiak do that? Well, actually, uh, Georgie in, in Calgary started that. Okay. Why? Why? I, I'm not really sure. It was kind of a an equipment guy thing just to show people that you're tough or something. I don't know. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I can remember George one year in the playoffs wearing shorts, but he had the biggest fur coat I've ever seen on. <laughs> wearing shorts. So that, I, I don't know. I, that's hilarious. Say it took me a long time to figure out that that was pretty stupid. When, when did you decide it was stupid, Norm? Well, I, <laughs> one playoff game... Uh, at the end of the game, we come in, and my thighs and legs were so red that I they, they were actually burning the touch. So I said, that's enough of this stupidity. <laughs> that was the last time I did that. So, uh, Norm, who was your best friend in football in all those years? Who was the guy? Like, you know, I've said this to quarterbacks. When you want to pick another quarterback's brain, you don't call an equipment manager. When a brain surgeon's ready to do brain surgery, he doesn't call a mechanic. So who was Norm Fong's best friend in football? Well, I I, I got to admit that I uh, when I started uh, I I really uh, was hesitant to take the job because I uh, a I, I was pretty young and I didn't think I could do it so I called 
uh, believe it or not, uh, it was George Hopkins mm. uh, in Calgary, and Georgie kind of convinced me that you got to, you know, take a chance. You, uh, you, I'd helped the Rams for uh, quite a few years, and and I was helping Dale Laird uh, whenever I could at some training camps. So Georgie was the one I looked to when I started for advice on budgets and ordering and stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, I'd have to say George and Calgary was probably one of my biggest early influences. Best thing about being an equipment manager, what is it, Norm? I think the friendships. Uh, uh, you know, when you first start, I, one of the first things that I was told was you got to be friends with everybody, but you can't be buddies with anybody. Mm-hmm. And as the more years I put in, I found that to be so true, and and. Um, so what does that mean exactly? What does that mean, Norm? Well, if you get too close to certain people, um, they're going to want. They're going to start asking for stuff, whether it's you know T-shirts for the family, hats, you name it, jackets. Um, with a trainer uh, on a team, what are they going to ask for? <laughs> Can I get ten rolls of tape? You know what I mean. <laughs> Versus if you get friends or buddies with the equipment guy, yeah. you know, I, I, maybe he'll give me half a dozen shirts that I can give to my kids or yeah. to my family. So Okay, you get the straight goods here. You can't be fired now. You're in the Ryder Plaza of Honor. You're one of the big guys, one of the big faces. I think you're ranked number 75 in, in that book that was released. So, so who did you have a soft spot for in all your years? Come on, who did you give an extra T-shirt to? You can tell us, Norm. Well, I, you know, Bobby Jerson, uh, I, I would have to say that I, you know, and I'm still friends with a lot of those guys. Like Ridgeway, I talk to probably once a month, and Bobby Jerson, I talk to at least once a month, if not more. And uh, Polly, obviously, yeah. you know, Polly and, and Aldag. Polly and Aldag were the ones that I asked uh, to induct me into the uh, Hall of Fame, yeah. the Plaza, and I mean, Bob and, and uh, Roger and I, along with Brian Ellerburn, who's pe- since passed, we kind of all grew up together starting at the Rams. So, uh, you know, those friendships uh, are things that you continually have, and, and I keep close to my heart because they're pretty good friends. So, Yeah, no kidding. Hey, uh, Norm Fong joining us here. So you, you, you got inducted, I believe, Farthing and uh, Burgess went in with you. Were yeah. you were you a Burgess or an Austin guy? Um, you know, I, I I'd have to say Tommy. Like I I got along with Kent and everything, and and he was good. But uh, Tommy and uh, when he was there, him and and Fairholme, um, actually they, they were big golfers. Mm-hmm. And Tommy took the time to teach me how to make golf clubs. Oh, really? So I made a set of my own golf clubs and. Um, you know, he, uh, he, he just took the time. He showed me, you know, how to weigh them and, and different flexes and stuff like that. And so for a couple of years, I was into making my own drivers and stuff like that. I made some for my brother and that, and it was kind of neat. So I, you know, I, I, Tommy was a pretty good friend when he played and, and, uh, uh, I, I want to say Tommy was more, uh, friendly uh, towards the players 
Yeah. Uh, like he was one of the boys. And I, I'm, I'm not knocking Kent and saying he wasn't, but Kent was more businesslike. And, and that's why Kent made such a Kent, good coach. Yeah, I was going to say that, Norm. Kent's exactly how I'd picture him to be. He's, he, he's friendly. He's like you. He's friendly. Like you said, I mean, he's friendly, but not a buddy. And that's what a coach is. A coach is friendly, but he's not a buddy. He had more of that demeanor than Tom Burgess. At least that's how I saw it from the outside. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like Kent, I mean, he he fit in. He he never rocked the boat or anything, but he was always once he he come to the field and that mm-hmm. he was a hundred percent football. Yeah, hey, and lo- that you know, I mean, that showed in the way he coached. Yeah, no, absolutely. Hey, uh, Norm. So uh, speaking of coaches, who is your favorite coach to work with in all your years? Because you went through a few of them. <laughs> oh, by far, Coach Miller. Okay. What did you, you know, like about uh, him? What did you like about him? Well, you know, when you're the equipment guy, you're working with a bunch of people, and, and sometimes, especially, you know, after uh, 9-11 and stuff like that, it, it was really tough to move your equipment from point A to point B. And Coach Miller is the, one of the only coaches that I, that I ever worked with that would say, hey, Norm, we'd like to do this. Can we do it? What do you think? You know, most coaches wouldn't say that. They would just say, I need it there at 10 o'clock, do it, and walk out of the room. And Coach Miller was never like that. He always asked your opinion, and if it wasn't something that could work, he he would say, okay, well, what if we did this? So, Mm -hmm. you know, he was easy to work with. If you had any trouble in the room and you mentioned it to him, uh, he would look after it without, you know, kind of saying, well, he came to me and said, "I got to do this sort of thing." So, he, he was he, he was more than a coach. He was like a mentor and 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 uh, just easygoing and and completely total respect for everyone in the organization. Was there one uh, coach that you just didn't see eye to eye with that it was just a nightmare? Can you can you give us some dirt? Uh, I, I you know, Coach Matthews uh, was a little hard to work with uh, in that. You know, it was his way or the highway. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I'll say about Coach Matthews is he respected everybody on your staff. And, and I can remember we had a player that one day was, uh, we at, you know, we always had a couple ball boys. And mm-hmm. one of the players, I can't remember who it was, but he was giving one of the ball boys a hard time. And Don just happened to walk by and notice it. And he stopped and pulled the player over and told him, you ever seen him do that again he'd cut him on the spot mm-hmm. and from that point on i i kind of had a different respect for coach matthews because i realized that he was more than coach matthews he you know he he looked after everybody on his staff not just his coaches hey uh, norm that's a good point uh a couple seconds ago you brought it up so I've always said this. We live in the we live in the New York uh, the the you know what of Canada. It's tough to get in and out, connecting flights. It's got to be a nightmare to move a football team, in particular the equipment. So was that the toughest challenge for you? And how much tougher was it once nine eleven happened? Because that would have been a nightmare. It was really tough. Uh, you know, uh, uh, after nine eleven, they started putting smaller planes uh, coming into Regina. So. Uh, you could get the players out without a problem because we could technically almost book a whole plane, but we couldn't carry our equipment on the planes. So we had to find a, a company 
And thankfully, the league kind of went out and found a company that would transport all the different teams' equipment from point A to point B. But the problem was you had to have your equipment ready to go a day before you normally would. Okay, yeah. So you had to go to the coaches and say, Coach, you know, we can't have a, a padded practice like we normally would two days before because that equipment has to be gone to whatever city because they would come and pick it up yeah. and truck it. What was the hardest city to go to in, in the CFL? I mean, I know, was it, I guess, and how much of a challenge was the American expansion for you? Well, it really, the, the biggest challenge on the American expansion, uh, we always chartered, so it, it, it wasn't hard that way. But I can remember the first trip we made into, I think it was Sacramento, you had to have a manifest. And on the manifest, you had to put down everything that you were loading into that plane. Wow. The problem was, at that time, we were with um, the brewery in Saskatoon. Okay, yeah. We weren't with Molson's. Right. And they put on 32 24s of a green beer. Ah. <laughs> but they didn't tell me about it. Oh. So when we got to Sacramento, uh, we're unloading the plane, and they come and add to the bus. I'm, I got, you know, obviously the truck's out there loading up our equipment, and I'm on the bus, and the, um, uh, peop- the customs people come and said, who's in charge of this equipment? And Al Ford jumps up, and he says, well, our equipment manager here, and, and they said, well, we've got a problem. And, and he said, what, you know, what's the problem? And he said, well, there's a bunch of cases of beer on there that aren't on the manifest. Oh, no. What did you do? So, uh, <laughs> I ended up getting pulled off the bus and spent I don't know how many hours with Al and Customs uh, trying to explain that it wasn't on the manifest because, I, A, I didn't know about it. Oh, I mean, wow. Al knew about it, but he didn't think of the manifest, so they impounded our equipment, and it took, like I say, hours for Al to convince them that it was it was for uh, a party, like you know, a tailgate for the Regina, or Regina people or fans. Wow! And uh, <laughs> they actually uh, impounded our equipment, locked it up in a truck, and and took it away. And I'm I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I didn't know what to say. I I had my manifest, and yeah. everything was the same as theirs, except these cases of beer. Norm, how did you get into being an equipment manager? Like, why? How does a guy decide? You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be an equipment manager. Was it a case? And, and forgive me, and, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you, you you love sports, but you realize you're probably not gonna go far in athletics, but you want to be involved in something like that. So that's why you go down that path, either a trainer or an equipment manager. What was it like for you? Well, I was I was going to Balfour and played. You know, I obviously played all the sports. Mm-hmm. And um, the football coach at that time was Mr. John Neely's. Yep. And I went first year and I made the team and as a backup. And one night at practice, I just thought, man, what am I doing out here? I'm running my ass off and I'm never going to play. We'll be back with more of our outstanding chat with Normie Fong and our Where Are They Now feature right after this. This is the Sports Cage for spreads.ca on 620 CKRM.
Well, it's time to continue our great chat with former rider equipment man and Plaza of Honor inductee, Normie Fong, in our Where Are They Now segment. So you were a Pats trainer, too, and, you know, your life could have taken a different path. You were almost, uh, you could have ended up in hockey. Tell us about that, because you actually were involved with the Los Angeles hockey team at the time. Tell, tell us about that, because I think you were around 20 years old when that happened. Yeah, I was. I was only 20, and, and uh, I actually had just... <laughs> I got a job working for the city of Regina in the summer, mm-hmm. and the Los Angeles Sharks were having their training camp here in Regina, and Jim Buzdell, who worked for the city, uh, was scouting for them. Right. And Jim asked me, because he also played on the Regina Caps, the senior team, he said, hey, the uh, Los Angeles Sharks are going to hold training camp here, uh, and they're looking for someone from Regina to kind of help out and you know, you know, someone that knows the city, that knows the uh, shoemaker and stuff like that. And I said, yeah, you know, I'll gladly do it. So I took a two-week leave of absence from my part-time job at the city and uh, helped Los Angeles out. And then in, I want to say the end, middle of October, they fired their head trainer. Mm-hmm. And they asked Jim if I would come down and take over the looking after their equipment, and they were going to move their equipment guy up to the trainer. And I thought about it, and like I say, I was only 20 years old, and I thought, you know, what the, what am I going to do in Los Angeles and, you know, being by myself and that. And Jimmy says, well, you know, it would be a good experience, and you're only going to go there, you know, till the end of playoffs if they make it. So I said, sure. Mm-hmm. I went down there and, and uh, spent the rest of the season there, and, and I remember the second day I was there, I got pulled over on the uh, highway, on the freeway, by a highway patrolman, and he walked up to the side of my van with his gun out. And I'm 20 years old. I've only been here two days, and I'm literally <laughs> crapping my pants. Like, I was shaking like a leaf. Right. And we, he come up to the uh, door and told me to roll down my window and, and naturally, I'm shaking like a leaf, and he's thinking, what the hell have I got here? And yeah. so he's, he's asking me, you know, what are you doing? And I said, well, I work for the hockey team. I've only been here for two days. And uh, he says, well, why are you shaking so bad? And I said, well, being a Canadian, you get pulled over. They don't usually walk up to the side of your car or your van with a gun pulled. Wow. And he explained to me that they pull over, It's you know, I mean, I'm driving a a van for the hockey team that's got no markings, no windows. And he says, when we pull up to a van, uh, he says, we don't know what we're walking into. Yeah. He says, we got to be kind of cautious. and Makes sense, right? And it kind of ties into what we're seeing today in the world, yeah. uh, you know, with the Black Lives Matter and cops and relations with people. It's good to see a story from two different sides. That's a really neat story, Norm. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm really pissed off at myself that it's taken me this long to pick Norm Fong's brain. Uh, okay, so Norm, but do you think about it? If you would have stuck with hockey... You know, maybe you would have had a more lucrative lifestyle because who knows, maybe you end up in the NHL. Do you ever regret not staying with hockey and going with the CFL route? Um, sometimes, you know, like I came home at the end of that year with Los Angeles because I got homesick. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, like again, I was only 20, and, and um, that summer I got a call from the Houston Arrows uh, trainer 
asking if I'd be interested in, in going to Houston and working because uh, they knew that Los Angeles was going to get a new trainer and the trainer that was there when I was was going to get demoted back down to the equipment. And I thought about it. And I said, no, you know, I was homesick. So I said, no, I'm coming back home and, you know, I'll get a job with this, hopefully with the city again and yeah. and just continue working with the uh, uh, the Rams. And, and I was lucky enough when I got home, uh, the Regina Pats uh, asked me to come and, and uh, you know, be there if I'd work with them because their trainer, Charlie Walsh, had got sick. Mm-hmm. So I was fortunate enough that one season uh, I had won the – Canadian Junior Championship football with the Rams in November, and then that May, uh, I won the uh, Memorial Cup with the Pats. So <laughs> you got the golden touch. Okay, yeah, so, so that, I that, thought, that, you know, this is pretty cool. This leads me to a really good question here, uh, Norm. I was going to ask you this earlier in the interview. Do you have a bunch of memorabilia you saved? Because you would have got cool, like old school sweaters and shirts, and you've got a plaza ring, probably. You got a Memorial Cup ring. You got a, you know, you won the Canadian Junior Football Championship. Do you have a lot of cool memorabilia? Maybe what's your favorite piece, Norm? Well, you know, uh, we got Memorial Cup rings are, are pretty neat, and the ones we got when we won were. They looked more like a high school. Yeah, Jostin's ring. <laughs> yeah, they were just a little blue. And yeah. so about 10 years ago or so, uh, all the guys on the team got together, and Kim McDougal had made arrangements for Jostin's to make us a, an actual uh, championship ring from our Memorial Cup team. So uh, we all got, you know, everybody threw in, and we got those rings. So that ring's pretty special to me, uh, along with, Obviously, my two great cup rings, but uh, when people ask me which championship uh, do I like the the most, and I, you know, it, it's tough. They're all, all championships are great, but I think the one with for the Memorial Cup means a little more because it's so hard to win. I mean, you spend ten days or two weeks in mm-hmm. in whatever city with the team. Uh, and you got to win a round robin tournament, and it's so hard to win that Memorial Cup championship. Versus, I mean, it's hard to win any championship. But in the in the CFL, you you only got to beat you're only one of nine teams yeah. competing for the championship. Versus the Memorial Cup, you're yeah. But wasn't that? But wasn't that? I I totally agree with you, Norm. One hundred percent behind you. But just for what you said there. Because <laughs> I live, I've lived in Saskatchewan most of my whole life. Been a Ryder fan my whole life. We yeah. went from 1976 to 1988 before we made the playoffs. We didn't win a Grey Cup. It took us 23 years to win a Grey Cup in an eight slash nine team league. Like I get what you're saying. You're 100 percent accurate. You should win it on a more regular basis. But how sweet was that '89 championship when we finally won the Grey Cup? Well, you know, for me, it, it's special because. I'd already been in the league 10 years. Unreal. And, and and never had a sniff for the Great Cup. And then I I look at my buddy Dwayne in Edmonton. Yeah. And he's got like 11 or 12 rings already. And I, I, I haven't even gone to a Great Cup yet. So when we did win, it was like, wow. I, you know, I finally 
finally climbed that mountain and, and we got a ring. So, hey, let me ask you this. As an equipment guy, how does this work? I've never asked a guy this. So, so uh, let's, let's, uh, let's maybe think about the 2009 Grey Cup when the Riders won and then didn't win. Or let's think about the 1989 championship. Let's go there. Or, you know, let, let, let's talk about this. So when do you get the championship apparel? You know, Grey Cup champion hats or shirts that you see the guys wearing right after the game. How do they get given out? Do they give them to you and you give them out? How does that work? Yeah, usually what happens is, uh, that, like, normally uh, uh, the T-shirts and hats uh, are given out uh, right almost on the field, and it's usually they, they come to the equipment guy who in turn would give them to, it's usually the communications guy that's handing them out on the field. Mm -hmm. um, and most teams, uh, like, there's usually not enough for your coaching staff and all your equipment staff and that. So normally what happens is a week or 10 days, two weeks after the Great Cup, okay. the uh, companies will send an extra, you, you know, teams will put in and say, well, we need another three dozen or two dozen. Mm -hmm. So when a Great Cup comes to Saskatchewan, like in 1995 when Calgary and uh, Baltimore played here, the first ever game, were you involved in that, helping uh, helping the Calgary trainer or the Baltimore tra or, uh, Calgary equipment guy or the Baltimore equipment guy getting set up and everything like that? Yeah, what happens is the uh, whatever city the Great Cup is in, the home team equipment guy is the host for both teams, regardless if he's in it or not. So is that more exciting for you, or is it when you're – like, I know you're part of a team that can win, but is that a better week for you, or is it a better week when you're actually, say, on the road in uh, Toronto, Riders, Hamilton, and you're having to do equipment on the road? What's a better week for you? Uh, it's probably better on the road, and, and the reason I say that is it's easier to control your dressing room if you do win, and it's also less work because you're actually paying somebody. The league gives you um, – uh, a budget uh, to pay the home team uh, equipment guy to do your laundry. Mm. Oh, okay. So you're not spending an extra three hours a night doing your own laundry. It's kind of you bundle it up and they pick it up and deliver it the next day. So what's the best? What's the best? Uh equipment change in all the years doing football let's just speak with football here what was the best equipment change that you've seen where you're like yeah this is revolutionary well for me it was the helmets you know when i when i started uh they were using a, uh either a six or a 12 point suspension helmet yeah you know and then we got into the uh water helmet and then we got into the pack three where uh the, the suspension was replaced with uh foam bubbles you want I want to call them yeah and then we move from that into the air you know and and so that that's probably the biggest revolution I mean shoulder pads are <coughs> always basically been the same except now that you know all, all the shoulder pads are pretty much custom made and they're yeah God, I, I want to say maybe a third the size of that of what they used to be. Do you go to the new stadium and have you seen the uh, the, tr uh, the equipment room in the new stadium? Do you marvel about? <laughs> are you like a a kid in the candy store? You'd love to have had a facility like that. Yeah, you know, I Gordy gave uh, gave me a tour of the equipment room the uh, week that they moved in, and I mean, it's just the the equipment area alone. It just amazed me how they you know uh 
took the design of all the they went to tons of colleges and pro teams mm-hmm. and took the best of everything yeah and that they designed it just it's unbelievable i mean i they spend probably a third of the time there uh versus when we were there you know where we'd spend after practice it would take us upwards of five hours to do all the laundry they do it all in maybe two hours wow man it was a labor of love for you you're definitely a guy that set the stage uh, for for the generation that is now that's why you're in the plaza of honor so you said when you took over you weren't sure you could do the job because you were so young how long between that time and the time where you thought okay i got a handle on this like how long did it take you to feel comfortable knowing what you were doing i would say probably two years a good two years before uh, I really felt comfortable. And part of that is because Coach Lancaster uh, really had my back. And if, you know, I ran into any type of problem and, and you know, if, if players got on my back for anything, he was right there to say, hey, you know, you want to go back to the way it was sort of thing. And yeah. so, it, yeah, I would say a good two years before I felt comfortable uh, doing things on my own without calling either Edmonton or yeah. or, or Calgary, saying, well, you know, uh, what should I do with this? Do you think I'm ordering too much? Do you think I'm not ordering enough? So Hey, we've had a lot of losing football here. You were part of some winning football, but a lot of losing football, as you alluded to, taking 10 years, but by the time you got into the league, to win the Grey Cup. When guys are frustrated, they generally take out their frustrations on their equipment. Did you have to butt heads with some guys, uh, with a coach to say, hey, tell these guys to quit throwing their helmets around or doing this or doing that? Yeah, you know, we, you know, and <laughs> that just doesn't happen when you're losing. Um, we had a player that for some reason, decided that the padding in his shoulder pads was too thick. So he would, every game, he would take all the padding out of his pads and play with just the plastic. Oh, man. And it got to the point where I had to go to Coach Barrett and say, hey, Coach, this guy's going to break his shoulders up. He, you know, he's playing. He takes all the padding out of his uh, shoulder pads. And Danny says, you're kidding. And I says, no. And he says, well, next time he does that, come and tell me. So we're playing a game, and the guys are out in the warm-up, and, and Danny always made them go out in their shoulder pads. And I brought Danny in. I says, hey, you know, so-and-so's got his pads on again, took the pads out. And he goes, well, where are the pads? And I says, they're in his, his shoebox. So Danny went and got the padding out of the shoebox, and when they came in from the warm-up, he said, send him in my office. Mm-hmm. And I did, and that was the last time the kid did that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Good that Barrett had your back, and good that you had uh, some uh, uh, eagle eyes there. Imagine you, uh, you, patrol that, uh, you, uh, you patrol that locker room like a jail cell in the sense that you make sure guys' stalls are all okay, that they're not dickering around. You kind of got to have, uh, have your eyes and ears open to seeing what's going on. If I ask you right away off the top of your head, what's the one rider memory for Norm Fong that sticks out in his mind? definitely have to be winning the great cup in 89 mm-hmm. it was like i say uh uh it took 10 years to get there and when we got there i we really enjoyed it it's 548 with the sports cage sports tickers for bronco plumbing and heating where professional service is guaranteed they'll treat you right 781 
2090. The New York Rangers have a one to nothing lead on the Carolina Hurricanes. First intermission there. The big game, though, is coming up tonight. Edmonton Oilers, Calgary Flames, Battle of Alberta. Opening uh, face-off will happen at 7.30 p.m. Saskatchewan time, Ballsy. Can't wait. Farhan Lalji covers the Canucks in Vancouver. He's joining us in the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, anytime. A great time to order Western Pizza like tonight. Watching the game. I got my spot booked in the lounge already. Ready to watch the game between the Oilers and the Flames. Farhan, you're a hockey guy too. Um, I, I've talked to Cuthbert about this. I'll talk to Bob Stoffer a little later on. Um, so everybody's busting the Oilers' grapes because they've only got past the first round once since 20-17. That's better than the Calgary Flames. They haven't done it since 2015. Now, the Oilers have more draft capital, so to speak. So my question to you is this. In this series, who's got more pressure, the Flames or the Oilers? Wow. You know, I think with the Flames having the tough year that they had a year ago, and there's just so much expectation around, you know, this Oilers team with McDavid and Dreisaitl. And I, you know, I know Dreisaitl's status is questionable, but when you've got the best player in the world, you've got bigger expectations. And so when I look at it and just the way this team, these teams are constructed, and, you know, you talked about the draft capital and, you know, all the pain that Edmonton had to endure to, to pick up all those number one draft picks and everything that goes with that. But, you know, it, it's... It, you know, I don't know how much pressure is on the Oilers, to be quite honest. I just know there's pressure on McDavid, right? Because he is the best player in the world. He carried that team past the Kings. Any success or failure is going to be tied to his performance uh, at both ends of the ice. So I think there's a lot of pressure there. And I think Calgary is clearly the better team in this game, uh, or in this series, despite the fact that Edmonton has the best player in the world, top to bottom, 1 through 20, uh, goaltender, defense, all of it. Calgary's the better team, and they really should win this series. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's truly a series where you could throw the records out the window. And one thing about McDavid, he does look like he's from another world right now. He is focused. I don't think I've seen him this focused ever. Yeah, you know, potentially. But, I mean, I've also seen hiccups in his own end of the Kings series. But, you know, when they needed him the most in that last uh, in that last game seven, uh, he delivered, right? And, you, you know, you're right. The playoff records don't matter. Neither one of these teams is remotely accomplished in the postseason. Yeah, I, know. I mean, you know, Edmonton had that one run uh, getting to the West Final. Calgary hasn't done much, you know, other than the one first-round uh, win. Like, they haven't. So I don't think you look at either one of these teams. You look at the last round, you look at the Dallas Stars, and you can say, okay, well, two years ago they got to the final. Maybe there's something there. Maybe this team is built for the postseason, even though they were by far the worst regular season team in the playoffs. Um, you know, you can make that claim. Playoff experience and all of that stuff is not going to matter in this series one bit. It's just, you know, which team plays the best, which goaltenders play the best. And when I look at this series, I just think that uh, Calgary has more weapons. Calgary's better on the back end. Their goaltending is better. They're just more balanced. That's Farhan Lalji, uh, covers the Vancouver Canucks, also covers the Canadian Football League, both as a reporter and a play-by-play guy. So what are you hearing about this thing? Everybody around the office, are, is it getting done? Is it getting done? If I had five bucks for a, a, a time everybody was asking me, I'd, I'd be able to buy a CFL team. So tell me what's going on from your perspective. Yeah, I think that the last two days there's been a lot of, uh, of good dialogue and the two sides have moved a lot closer. And uh, I would be surprised if there wasn't a deal done by tomorrow, to be truthful, right? I mean, it could happen as late as this evening, but I don't think it'll get, you know, I, I shouldn't say it won't. It could happen this evening, but at the very least, I, I, I'd be surprised if it doesn't get done by tomorrow. Uh, I'm not sure if that saves that preseason game between Winnipeg uh, and Saskatchewan. As far as when it's played, I'm sure it'll get played, but they might have to move it uh, in order to get that done because it's just not really a, a safe situation. Even if they were to get the deal done tonight and get back on the field tomorrow, 
that just doesn't give you a realistic amount of practices to play in a game, right? So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that got moved regardless. But either way, uh, this, is, this is getting a lot closer. It's just unfortunate it had to take this long for them to get serious about negotiating because the league's first offer just wasn't very good, and it came in awfully late. Uh, you know, and so now they've been working off that, and they've, it just felt like they wasted a lot of time getting to that point. Yeah, that does look bad. It comes in late, and it was not It was not a good starting point. It wasn't even close to meeting in the middle, as we like to say. Uh, what do you think the, the, the last couple of hurdles are? Do you think that they have to work out without actually being in the boardroom, obviously? Well, I mean, I, I do think, we, as we've talked about for the last couple of days, the two big issues right now are revenue sharing and health and safety. You know, I, I think as far as the ratio and the salary cap is concerned, you know, I, I think when they walked away, you know, I, I don't think those numbers were offensive to either side, right? Uh, especially when you consider where they came from. Um, and maybe even what the expectations were. You know, I know there were a lot of people who just didn't believe there would be any new money coming into the system, uh, coming out of COVID. So they got a bit there and they, you know, the ratio, um, I think everybody knew there was going to be some adjustment. And in the end, you know, it looks like it could be just a tweak, which is probably appropriate. Uh, but it's those other two items because, you know, on revenue sharing, there's two things. Number one, what gets included in the revenue? Because when they had, the, when they had it in the last time, they, the league tried to basically copy and paste and take the exact same streams, mm-hmm. which the players never saw a penny from, and put them into this year's agreement, and the players didn't like that. On top of that, they wanted to make sure that they were actual numbers that could be audited, not just taking the league's word for it, right? And then the other part was the health and safety as it relates to practices, right? I mean, you'll recall in 2019, that was the big priority for the league, they, for the PA. They even gave up a salary cap raise to get more health and safety benefits to go from one year to three years. So you want to give us 12 practices? I don't think anybody thinks that having 12 practices is wrong. I don't even think the players think it's wrong, but they're not just going to give it in and say, okay, sure, we'll do what you want. They're going to want something on the back end, and what they want is health and safety. So uh, I'm sure there's going to be movement on both fronts in order to get this done, and I think that's happening. Farhan, does 12 practices padded make really that big of a difference? It does, yeah. You know, you like you can't play, you can't prepare for tackle football by practicing flag football, right, or touch football. Like, it just doesn't work that way. And I, and I think that when you see offensive line play as bad as it's been from time to time, depending on the team, well, how do you get better when you can't actually block, when you can't actually pick up a blitz, at full speed, how do you evaluate those players when you want to make changes and bring in guys, right? And I know they've got like limited padded moments for guys on practice rosters that you want to get, you know, you want to get a tryout to and things like that. But like you need to have a little bit. And again, you know, this season lasts 20 weeks, right? So you're looking at every second week potentially having a padded practice or, you know, maybe they do most of them in the first half of the season. And then, the you know, when you get, at, when you get past Labor Day, we're not going to see a lot of it as everybody kind of gets into, you know, protect your body mode yeah, I mean, as a guy that's coached football for a long time, you have to practice. And linemen will tell you that we, we need to practice a bit. Even though they want their bodies healed, they see the net effect when they don't do it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I, think, I think 12 is the right number. It's exactly what the NFL does, and I think the league needs to go there. But I, like, I, I understand where the players are coming from in terms of wanting a little bit more in the way of safety protection. Okay, we got about two minutes left, Farhan. What's interesting about this, and it's not the CFL's fault, but we got two teams that have had a, a good, a healthy handful of practices, Calgary and Edmonton. Uh-huh. Are other teams upset about this competitive advantage? Because it is. Oh, you're following my Twitter feed, Ballsy. Yeah, they're furious. You know, having talked to different coaches and, and people around the league, and, and they're reaching out to me saying this is BS in much more colorful language. 
yeah, you know, I, I think that there wasn't a lot of angst about it when it was just three days because the first two of those days would have been non-padded and everybody kind of got where it was going. Once you get to five days, right, and <laughs> yeah. three of those are padded and, and understand that, that a training camp, there's no limits, right? Like you could go from 8 a.m. To, to 10 p.m. if you want, right, in terms of meeting time and film time and everything like that. So it's not like the regular season four-and-a-half-hour work day that the CFL allows. So you are getting a lot of additional work done in, in these five days. There's absolutely an advantage. So if you're, you know, if you're one of the teams playing Edmonton or Calgary in the first couple of weeks, because after that there's a bit of a point of a diminishing returns, but you know, if you're BC and Ottawa and Montreal and the teams that are playing these guys, yeah, there's, there's <laughs> teams that are hot. Yeah, they should be hot. Uh, Farhan, 30 seconds or less. Will we have a deal by this time tomorrow, do you think? I do. I do. Yeah. Um, I'm expecting this to get done, you know, within the next 24 hours. And uh, we can put this behind us. It's unfortunate because it's just been a bad look for everybody, even though the I think the players have a little bit more of fan sentiment on their side. It doesn't matter. It's not a league that can afford this. Bad luck coming out of COVID, all of those things. But hopefully it gets done and we can just move on from it. Well, I do follow Farhan Lalji on Twitter, and you should too, at Farhan Lalji, TSN, uh, uh, 64,100 people or so do so, so why don't you be one of them? Thanks for this, Farhan. We'll talk to you next week, my friend. Thanks, Bill. Have a good weekend. It's Farhan Lalji, TSN reporter, play-by-play man, CFL on TSN. When we come back, we'll hear from Bob Stoffer, 630 Cheds, color commentator on the Oilers Radio Network, Battle of Alberta. Nobody's given the Oilers a chance. Not even Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, that's right, folks. I just stood out of my chair. Not even the great one has given the Oilers a chance. I give up. By the way, I wanted to point it out, or wanted to point out that our chat with Farhan Lalji was our training camp report brought to you by Degelman Industries. Engineering tough, high-performance equipment for 60 years. That's uh, Degelman Industries. Uh, thanks to them for getting on board with our rider training camp report. Not really a training camp report, but an update on the CFL CBA. The show is brought to you by spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM like I did, and you'll get a free $25 sports bet. All right. Uh, all our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, anytime, a great time to order Western Pizza. Before we get to Bob Stoffer, the Oilers Radio Network to tee up the Battle of Alberta about an hour and a half. We're looking on the out-of-town scoreboard. Rangers lead Carolina 1-0. We're going to check the text line and that is brought to you by our good friends at uh, Capital Ford Lincoln, Saskatchewan's number one Ford dealership uh, located at the corner of Rochdale and Pasco. What's the text, Zinger? Hey, let's hop on this text line here. Dave says, hey, Michael, go Oilers go, and mm-hmm. I hope to see football soon. Get it done soon, please. So, uh, yes, sir, I can't agree more there. And then another texter says, Ballsy, excellent interview with Norm Fong. Best I've heard in a very long time. Thank you. Yeah, I like that the, was a very good interview. I like, that that awesome. think, I like to think I do good interviews, but I'll take the compliment. I'll, <laughs> like, I'll take the compliment, man. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks. Uh, you can keep the text coming, 936-6262, the number to text. All right, it is time to catch up with our friend Bob Stoffer on the Western Pizza Hotline. All right, Bob, Battle of Alberta, first time since 1991. What do you remember about the last Battle of Alberta? Uh, well, I certainly remember Game Six and the reaction of Theron Fleury. And uh, you know, I, Mark Messier was 
really hurt in that series. He was fighting off three separate injuries. Of course, he had led the Oilers and was the league MVP in 89-90, and Edmonton won the Cup uh, in 1989-90. He was a matchup of the last two Stanley Cup champions and sort of the end of an era. Like, uh, you know, the Flames and the Oilers really weren't the same after that 91 series. That 91 series was, Michael, it was rollerball and ice. Those two teams hammered the crap out of one another. They destroyed each other physically. And Edmonton ultimately uh, got the last laugh in Game 7. That's ticking in with the hat trick. You know, the Oilers won four of the five series, and even the one in Calgary won. Did they really win it? Or yeah. did they just get the break of all time, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, now that said, in this series, Calgary is going to be the prohibitive favorite. You know, and I think I had Wayne Gretzky on the show on Monday, and he talked about, you know, in 88, Calgary finished ahead of Edmonton in the regular season. They had four 40-goal scorers. So they beat the Oilers in the 86 playoffs. Despite the fact that the Oilers had won the Cup in 86-87 with arguably, I think, the greatest team of all time um, in terms of talent and personnel, because Paul Coffey was still with the team by then. And then they added Kent Nielsen. They added Ray Roots Landon in 86-87. In 87-88, they moved Coffey. And I think a lot of people thought that Calgary was going to you know, take it to Edmonton and, and said the Oilers you know, won in four straight games. So 91, it went seven. It was the brutality of the series is what I remember. Like, it was just no country for old men hockey. Those two teams killed each other on the ice. The stuff that went on. And, I mean, Dave Brown, I was working at uh, ITV on Sports Night with Darren Detition behind the scenes at that time. And uh, Brownie had worked over Jim Kite in a pretty lopsided fight. And Darren Detition, usually he started the lawnmower on him. Uh, it was it was a memorable series. And the Oilers didn't have a lot of juice left after that series. I mean, they ultimately uh, lost that year to Minnesota. And Messier, by that point, was so banged up, he, he just was a shadow of his former self trying to play through an injury. That's what I remember. Yeah, for sure. So uh, you you called it like a rollerball on ice. What do you think about this series? It's a different time, but it will be physical. Uh, I remember clearly, now personnel a little different, but I remember that 8-3 drubbing in Calgary not that long ago. My son and I were at a recruiting trip in the hotel in North Dakota watching that baby, and the Oilers uh, sent a message that night in Calgary. I don't think we'll see that, but what are you expecting in this series? Well, Calgary's got the toughest team in the league. They do. I know Nashville is the league in fighting majors, but Calgary's got the team of Lucic. They got Cabranson. They got Zadorov. You know, Kachuk is a, a cruiserweight that kind of fights whoever he wants. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think Richie's going to play tonight. I think they'll go 11 and 7. But I, to me, this is going to be a tough one. Like, this is a tough physical matchup for Edmonton. I don't know if they can play that game. I think the Oilers got to play to the whistle and saddle a crap. Calgary got, uh, you know, they sucked Dallas into some of that, and uh, Klingberg got worked over a couple times. That's not Edmonton's game. They can't play that way. So, And the Oilers have a lethal power play, and Dallas had a crappy power play. Like, Calgary should have won the series. They were the better team in the series against Dallas, but they almost lost it. That's how tight that margin was. And uh, and I know the Oilers fell behind 3-2 against L.A., but they elevated in game six and seven. So I'll be really intrigued to see... You know, does Edmonton just play to the whistle and stop? Because I think that's the way they got to play against the Flames. What are the two great ones, Bob Stoffer and Wayne Gretzky, think are the path to victory? Did you ask the great one that? What's the Oilers' path you to know, victory in this? No, I mean, I you know, it's a big story here that you know, he's I guess I guess somewhere he said that the Flames would win the series. I mean, I, I can tell you, we've had Wayne on enough to know over the course of this year that uh, you know he was very fairly bullish on Edmonton's team. Him and Brian Lawton were two of the guys out there in the States that were like, no, Edmonton can make some noise here. I think Wayne thinks that, 
uh, Calgary's beatable. I, I'm not going to put words in Wayne's mouth. So what I'll say is uh, the orders have got at least got to, got to get a soft and goal between Smith and Markstrom, at least a soft. Edmonton's got to be sharp in special teams, and they can't get killed on five on five, and they can't take stupid penalties themselves. I think if they do that, they got a chance to win the series. Absolutely. I mean, I'm saying Edmonton in six. I mean, I'm employed by the Oilers Entertainment Group, so you know which. You know, I'm going to go with Edmonton, but I again, uh, you know, you, you need goaltending, you need special teams. They got to call penalties too. That's the other part of it. Um, and uh, and we'll see. The Oilers are a different team, Michael, since they basically deployed Evander Kane and Zach Hyman kind of on a second first line and then rotated centers through there. It's changed the complexion of how the opposition plays against them. Okay, so uh, the big uh, question hovering around this team in this series is Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, what do you think about uh, how we're, what we're going to see from uh, 29? Well, he's he's hurting for certain. He was hurting coming into the L.A. series, and then he got rolled up on. It was a cheap play and suffered the ankle injury. So uh, I think he's going to have to play left wing. Uh, but he can still make plays. He's a highly competitive player. Some players can play hurt. Other guys can't. He's one of those guys that can play hurt. Who's the next factor for the Edmonton Oilers? Take uh, take Drysaddle and McDavid Ryan, out of Ryan, it. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, especially with Drysaddle uh, being a little bit uh, challenged physically. Ryan Nugent Hopkins needs to have a good series. A lot of people think it's going to come down to Backland against Nugent Hopkins. That's going to be the matchup that a lot of people think is going to ultimately define who wins the series. And he is the Edmonton Oilers. He's been there the longest. It is his time to shine, I think, too. I agree. Yeah, he's... You know, he was pretty good in Game 6 and Game 7. He's on more of a checking line right now. It's not like he's playing with, you know, the yeah. top four Oilers wingers. He's going to have to make some things happen for Edmonton. What about the coaching matchup? Uh, Daryl Sutter's got the two Stanley Cups in his hip pocket. He's been there before, taking the Flames all the way almost home. And Woodcroft's done a great job since he's come in there. Yeah, it's old age against new age, right? Uh, as the playoffs have gone on, Jay said less in his media availabilities. Let's not forget, you know, I, I think Brad Trey and Brad Pascal, those guys in Calgary, do a real good job. Like, they target competitiveness. They see that as a skill. They got a real good team in the minors in Stockton. Um, you know, they've they've done a good job. They've added some experience. Like, look at the guys that they brought in. Tafoli's won two cups. Lewis has won two cups. Lucic had won a cup. Uh, you know, uh, Coleman, just specific to this year. You know, three guys with two Stanley Cup championships, Coleman with two in Tampa, uh, two for Lewis in L.A., and then two for Toffoli in, uh, in L.A. as well, and Toffoli playing last year in the in the final. So, you know, um, it's it, it's not going to be easy. Jay's got a different approach. Jay tries some different things. Sutter's pretty defined in his approach. You know, there's two coaches, Ballsy, that can really limit opposition shots that are masters at shot retention. One is Mike Babcock and one is Daryl Sutter. And that's a little bit concerning for me with Edmonton. I mean, you just take a look, 67-28 were the final shots the other night, Calgary and, uh, and Dallas. The Oilers can't be outshot 2-1 to one in the game. Can, can the Oilers' speed overwhelm Calgary? Because they that's, are a faster team. Yeah, well, LA looked pretty quick against Edmonton, i got to tell you. I thought, I wouldn't underestimate Calgary's speed. But uh, the Oilers also have a couple options that they may potentially. I wonder whether or not Dylan Holloway, if this goes sideways on Edmonton at some point, maybe they're down 2 nothing after the first two games if they have to look at putting him in the lineup, get some speed in on the left side. That might be another option for Edmonton. Do you feel pretty good about Mike Smith and Net, given what you saw in the first round? I'll tell you why I do, because Mike Smith is, Mike Smith reminds me a bit of Dwayne Rolison, and it's 
has nothing to do with goalies over 40 getting shutouts. They're both alley cats. They both had to fight to become starters. And, you know, he's not dumb. He knows the Oilers were in on uh, Markstrom. And head-to-head, he's been the better of the two goaltenders over the last two seasons since Markstrom's down at Calgary. I, you know, I'm, I think Mike Smith's going to take personal umbrage in the fact that the Oilers chased uh, Markstrom, and that's going to drive his competitive spirit even more. Bob, I always uh, love your words, but I, you know, as a guy who roots for the Oilers, I, I like the Oilers. They're my team. But I'm listening to you say you picked the Oilers in six, but mostly everything I, the tone I get from you and everything is it's, it's, they got a puncher's chance, but Calgary should win the series. That's kind of how I feel listening to you. What I would say is Calgary's the favorite. They finished higher in the regular season. Um, they're the better five-on-five team and fewer penalties are called playoff time. But the Oilers have an X factor. It's the most dynamic, explosive, most advanced player that's ever played in the history of the game. And uh, I wouldn't bet against that and guy. And he looks like he's on a mission now, doesn't he? He does. He's on a mission. He's on a mission from God. Yeah. <laughs> and lastly, man, back in 91, as Chris Cuthbert said earlier in the show, we had good fan bases in both cities. But it's on another level this time yeah. around. Social media helps, and the fact that, you know, absence makes the heart grow stronger, right? We haven't had this for 30-plus years. Let's get after it. Let's make it happen. Bob, thanks for your time, man. We'll talk as the series progresses. Uh, let's hope for the good guys to win tonight. See you, Ballsy. Thanks, man. Take care. Stop doing stupid stuff at weddings. You are annoying. Don't be cliche or someone's wedding. You'll be destroying. Ah, yes, we're entering wedding season time now for some hump day humor. Let's get to it. Zinger, you just got married. Yes, sir, man. They say these are the worst things that you can do in a best man speech. Did you have a best man? Uh, Yeah, I did. Who was it? My brother. Did he do a speech? Nope. Okay, good. That's good. I think you probably should get rid of speeches. At least keep a time limit on them, like two minutes or less. We had zero speeches. Wow, that is outstanding. Man, you are a revolutionary man right there. Um, you're not supposed to bring up the groom's exes even for a great joke, uh, joke or anecdote. Don't focus too much on yourself as a best man. Not mention the bride enough or at all. You got to do that. Deciding not to prep a speech and just winging it. Don't do that if you're doing a speech. Talking too long, like I said, two minutes or less for these speeches. Telling an unflattering story about the groom he probably never wants his family to know about. And there's lots of that, right? And drinking too much before the speech. You don't want to get up there and go, hey, this, is, this is great to be here again. <laughs> is, is this your first wedding or second wedding? Boy, you sure mess up first. Oh, wait, you're not standing. This is Sean. Congratulations to you and Pam. Remember that one time in high school? Oh, it's it's not Pam. It's Lydia. Oh. Anyway, there's a new trend. Did Lydia have a, a white dress? Yes. Well, there's a black dress wedding trend now. According to Google Trends, North Americans have been Googling them as much as white dresses for the past year. And they've actually searched more than white dresses for the last two months. So, like... They've been, like, looking at black dresses. Spokesperson for the chain, David's Bridal, says, you used to have to custom order a black gown, but they're so popular now, they've started stocking black wedding dresses. Other wedding dress colors are blue, purple, and red. Whatever you do when you go to a wedding, and you're going as, like, a, 
you're 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 a guest, you've been invited, or you're you know you don't want to look better than the bride, right? That's the key. The it's the bride's day, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Your wife had a good day at the wedding, or what? oh yeah, it was good. We had zero we had zero uh, speeches, like I said before. Mm-hmm. It was just a straight up uh, ceremony, uh, justice of the peace, uh, wedding official. Uh, just did, straight to the point. No, 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 no religion, no nothing. Just signing those papers, baby. And uh, uh, it rained uh, a bit, but we were still able to do it outside. Yeah, so. like it rained, then it stopped, then it rained. Yeah, we had a nice little window there where it wasn't raining for like the hour that uh, the ceremony was happening. So you're gonna tell me there's no God? You're gonna tell me there's no religious part to that? You what? Come on, man. Hey, it, but it was also very windy. Out and you know what wind means during a wedding ceremony? What does that mean? It's the Holy Spirit. See, see. So, so why not? Oh, it's oh. better just to have the natural stuff uh, make its way in. Uh, you don't need to have this artificial paper uh, and yeah, words. Uh, yeah. It's all about the natural stuff, man. Nice. The, the grass, the wind, the air. That's what it's all about. Okay, man. singer, I like that. It's Wait. time to get deeper here. You've convinced me. Okay, hey. There's been so much talk about pandemic romance. There are couples that split up because they couldn't stand being around each other 24-7. Couples who grew stronger after quarantining together. And the couples who met and even got married over Zoom. And now one of the first couples to marry remotely while in lockdown is divorcing virtually. A 26-year-old British woman named Ais Reeves filed for an annulment from her American husband, 24-year-old Darren Martin, after just three months of wedded bliss, kind of. Wow. They still haven't met in person, though. <laughs> Mrs. Reeves doesn't sound like she changed her name either. No, no, but they, they didn't meet in person, Zinger. They married on Zoom and haven't met in person, and now are divorcing. Yeah, they met online during the quarantine. Things were good until recently. Aisa, Things were good yeah, until Aisa. Aisa claims Darren was unfaithful, and now she can't trust him anymore. She says his ex has confirmed that she and Darren are back together and that they're sleeping together and it's not a Zoom thing. Aisa says, quote, it wasn't the fairy tale ending that I had hoped for. Now, my question is, you know what probably could tip you off that it wasn't going to be a fairy tale ending? You got married on Zoom! <laughs> you haven't met in person! Come on, It's people. one of those, uh... I- can we expect like a Netflix thing on that now? Like a documentary about how knows, how man. a woman got her heart broken because she thought she was going to find love on Zoom. Yeah. And who knows, That's man. the stuff that's on Netflix these days and stuff. Yeah. Disgusts me, man. Do you watch Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise and all those crappy no, shows? No, I don't, I don't watch that stuff, man. ABC is making Monday Night Dancing with the Stars... Uh, Bachelor in Paradise over two days, like four hours. Like, that's garbage. Dancing man. with the Stars is better than B- Bachelor and stuff. I mean, Donald Driver, uh, Packers, yeah. great receiver, Jerry Rice. Jerry went Rice. on to win. He yeah. w- he didn't just partake in it. He yeah. won the whole dang so thing did years Smith. ago. So did Emmett Smith. Uh, I think he beat out Jerry Rice. Anyway, uh, this is one other story I wanted to wrap up here on our Hump Day Humor segment. 53% of us feel like we're an adult when we turn 18. The, the rest of us may dabble in adulthood, but otherwise remain stuck in adolescence. So if you're one of them, here's the sports cage list of the signs you're an adult, but not really. Okay, here we go. You make six figures a year, and then you sell them at a Star Wars convention for a few dollars each. <laughs> Get it? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just calculating in my head of what yeah. is six figures, yeah. but I got it now. You, you noticed your first gray hair on your shift supervisor at Arby's. <laughs> All right. Another sign you're an adult, but not really. You moved out of your parents' basement because their garage has more space for your bobblehead collection. Right, Zinger? Oh, okay. Right, okay. Zinger? I'm still collecting. I'm 30. <laughs> I know. I know. Another sign that you're an adult, but not really. You got a new car deodorizer for your 2003 Tercel. Oh, they don't even make those puppies anymore. <laughs> what? The deodorizers or the Tercels? The Tercels. They don't even make Yarses anymore. <laughs> and uh, the sports cage top sign that you're an adult but not really. Your boyfriend just got down on one knee because you kicked him in the junk because he smoked your weed. <laughs> right? Hey, you said it's about the grass, Singer. That's what you said. You said it's about the grass. That's what you said. Were you smoking weed at your wedding? No, man. I don't do that stuff. I'm straight. I'm a straight edge superstar. I don't drink. I don't. Uh, I don't. Either. I don't smoke. I don't do any of that. No, you and I. That's why we're buddies. We're brothers in arms. But here's a question for you: Has your life changed since you got married? No, not at all. I, I, I'm just still. I, I'm just still the same guy. I get mad when my sports teams lose. Yeah. I, you know, I. I still bathe the same way i scrub my armpits the same way in the shower I, uh, does, uh, does she think you're immature when you get mad because the bucks packers canadians blue jays lose oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. man i collect bobbleheads for crying out loud <laughs> yeah that's right you are uh, people think i am just a joke and i i embrace it well you're not a joke i i i laugh at that but that's okay hey this segment was brought to you by nick service in emerald park your local massey ferguson challenger rogator gleaner and fent dealer call 781 1077. If you missed any of this show, our interview with Bob Stoffer, Chris Cuthbert, Farhan Lalji, uh, Megan Donnelly, quarterback of the women's flag football team that won the bronze medal uh, down east for the U of R. Any of our guests Norm today, Fong. Normie Fong, where are they now? One of our texters said the best, where are they now? They've heard the podcast will be up right away, and it's brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism. Our province's older people deserve to live independently and affordably in their own communities and homes. Learn more and join the movement at skseniorsmechanism.ca. This has been the Sports Cage for this Wednesday. We'll talk to you tomorrow. The Sports Cage Podcast is brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism, working to make affordable home supports for seniors a reality. SKSeniorsMechanism.ca